And we've always, we all have faced that, right? So I want us to look at two unique, little different passages of Scripture. I know when the Scripture was read a moment ago, you're probably thinking, man, we're going to get in all those bowls and vows and, and judgments and, you know, no, we won't, but just, I'm sure Chad will cover that later for you, but uh, not this morning. And so uh, two verses, one from the New Testament, one from the Old. The Old Testament is Psalm 56, verse 8. It says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Very interesting. And then Revelation 5, verse 8 that we heard earlier. It says, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, I want to talk to you this morning about bottles of tears and bowls of prayer. You see, you may not immediately see how these two things come together but hopefully, as we go through this today, we will. So let's start with the bottles of tears. Uh, we just read a moment ago from Psalm 56, verse 8, that God is collecting all our tears in his bottle. And he's recorded each one. And so think about this, bottles of tears. We all go through tragedy, trial, hardship, and we pray and we lift our hearts to the Lord. Oh God! Help us. Oh God, heal me. Oh God, help my family to walk with you. Oh God, save my wife, save my husband. And we all cry out to God. And it's usually through our tears. And I believe tears are very closely connected to our prayers. And so number one, I want you to receive encouragement this morning. Number one, God loves you and he cares about your suffering. God cares about your suffering. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 1 says, But now thus saith the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. You see, God knows everything we're going through. And back in this day, they, they had these bottles that would, they would use for tears. Maybe there's a funeral and people are gathered because a dear loved one has passed on. And they would pass around these little vials and they'd fill them with their tears and they'd present them to the family. To say, this is how much we are with you. This is how we mourn with you. This is how much we loved that loved one that's passed on. Sometimes, if someone's going through a great trial themselves, they would collect their own tears. Just as a remembrance of what they had gone through and how God had brought them through. And so think about this. God is concerned about you. He loves you. So often our doubt about God's love comes when we are going through a hard time. And we feel like we've been forsaken by God, but you haven't been. I read about, I went to Halifax, Nova Scotia a while back. And I went to the museum there. 
And I saw one of the great events in the history of that city was called the Halifax Explosion. Happened in December 1917. A ship from France was coming in the harbor with chemicals that were used to make bombs. This is the time of World War I. It was coming to a close. And somehow it collided with another ship. A fire started and they couldn't get it out. And all those French sailors realized this thing's going to blow big time. And so they got to the lifeboats and they made it to the shore. Well, the whole town has gathered to watch this ship on fire. Little knowing what was going to happen. And the Frenchmen, when they came to shore, they saw a woman standing there uh, with a carriage that had a little baby. And they're trying to communicate, run, go to the woods. And they're put, doing the hands like this and speaking in French. She didn't speak French. And so finally, they went over and grabbed that baby. And they ran into the woods. And this woman is screaming and yelling, stop, get my baby back. And she thought, boy, this is the worst thing could ever happen to her. And they got her in the woods and they pushed her to the ground. At the same moment, that ship exploded. Nine square blocks of Halifax were completely leveled. 2,000 died immediately, 9,000 were injured. You see, what she thought was mean, what she thought was cruel, turned out not to be. Why? You see, those French sailors knew something she didn't know. And so often that's the way it is with us. We don't know the whole picture. We just see our little part right in front of us. But God sees the big picture. And he's working for our good. The Bible tells us that. And so I want you to be encouraged today that God loves you. No matter what you're going through, he's there. He hasn't left you. He understands and his heart is touched. The Bible says we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Number two, as we're thinking about the bottles of tears, God connects heart-filled prayer with tears. In 2 Kings chapter 20, we see the story of Hezekiah. And God let him know, Hezekiah, your days are numbered. I'm going to take you. Well, Hezekiah wasn't real excited about that. And so he began to fast and pray that God would extend his life and it says in verse 5, the Lord says, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, leader of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up unto the house of the Lord. God heard his prayer and God saw his tears. Number three, God is keeping a collection of your tears. He's filling his bottle with your tears. And that means to me that God is intimately concerned with all we go through. And let me, something interesting about God. He's a collector. He collects things. Anybody here collect things this morning? What do you collect? Yell it out. Skulls? So glad God has collected our tears. Okay, what else? Anything else? Some of you collect spoons, and some collect china, and some collect art. But you know what? God is a collector. 
Maybe a little, not quite as unusual skulls, but he's collecting our tears because he cares. Your tears uh, represent your journey and your sufferings. Your tears represent your heartaches and your dreams. Your tears represent your burdens, your hopes, and your deepest prayers. And God is concerned. And he's collected. He's not forgotten you. Number four, God knows what you can bear. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation. He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God will not allow more to come in our life than we, with his help, can bear. That's an encouragement, isn't it? Because I have to tell you, there have been times I have reminded God of this verse. Lord, you said you were not going to allow more to come into my life than what I can bear. Lord, I just want to let you know I think I'm there. And you know what? He's always come along immediately to lift that burden because he knows. He knows. The Bible says he knows our frame and he remembers that we're dust. I don't know about you, but I don't really expect a whole lot out of dust. I'm not saying, boy, dust, you let me down today. You didn't bear up like I thought you would. And so God is not expecting that much from us because he knows our frame. How many are truck drivers? I think everybody in my neighborhood drives a black truck. You know what? They sell trucks, and one of the selling features, they'll say, this is a one-ton truck, or this is a two-ton truck. It's not how much they weigh. It's what they can bear. What can that frame hold? And God is the designer of each one of us, and he knows what we can take. But it doesn't hurt to remind him from time to time. You know, I grew up in a home that was not a particularly religious home. My dad left us when I was two years old. And we were raised just by a single mom and it wasn't easy for her. She really wasn't following the Lord and that made it even tougher in our life. I remember one day she came home and said that she had accepted Jesus Christ. Some Christians had prayed for her at the office and she had prayed and accepted Christ. She said, things are gonna be different around here. Well, we weren't that excited, my brother and I, and I excited about what might be different, but uh, we thought, yeah, sure, that'll happen. And we watched, and you know what? There was a change in her life. And she, she started going to church every Sunday, of course, trying to get us to come, and we were not really into that, and uh, she just kept on. Kept on about this new pastor at her church there in Memphis, Tennessee, where we were raised. She said, you got to come hear this pastor. And we're like, no, thank you. And she just kind of kept after us. Anybody have a persistent mother? Oh, my goodness. Relentless. And so one day we said, we'll make a deal. We'll go listen to your pastor if you'll quit talking about it. If we like it, great. If we don't, you won't ever say anything about it. 
She made that deal with us. We went. They put us on the second row. I never, you notice that's pretty well open here this morning. <laughs> I'd never been that close. And, uh, you know, this, this man, this new pastor, he was different. I mean, we'd heard a few preachers in our time, not many. But uh, this guy talked about Jesus, and I could actually understand what he was saying. And it was an amazing thing. He talked about how God loved us and we were sinners and, and that Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again. And, and if we turned to him and put, place our faith in him, we could have our whole life changed. And we thought about, well, I guess that's what's happened to mom. And then he gave an invitation to come and receive Christ. Well, my mother got up and came down. And I turned to my brother and I said, I am not going down there. He said, me either. I said, fact, I've come my one time. I'm not coming back. And my brother said, me either. My brother lied to me. He kept going to church Sunday by Sunday. And a few weeks later, he announced to me, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And I said, oh, brother, now I have two fanatics in my home. They're praying all the time. They're reading the Bible, they're tacking little scripture verses up on the wall. And I thought, my goodness, they'll get over it, won't they? But you know what? They didn't. And they kept praying for me. And God is at work in my heart. I was outwardly hostile, but inwardly I was seeking. I wanted something. I didn't know what it was. Something was missing in my life, and I was miserable. Well, Christmas came and went that year. And right after Christmas, my brother and I both worked for a grocery ch store chain there in Memphis. He was late coming home. I drove down to check on him. Police cars were everywhere. What had happened that night is my brother closed the store and released the workers. Two men were waiting with guns. They forced my brother to open the door because they had hostages. And he opened the door, they beat the women, they turned the gun on my brother. And they got the money from the safe finally. They took him to the back in the delicatessen area of that store and they shot him. That had happened 10 minutes before I got in there. They had just taken him in the ambulance. And so I went home, got my mom, we went to the hospital, we got there, they said it doesn't look good. We're not sure he's gonna make it, but we're gonna try. And for two weeks he lingered between life and death. For two weeks, we lived night and day at that hospital. God finally had my attention. And it was New Year's Day that those Christians from my mom's office came to visit us at the hospital. We went to a prayer room, and folks, I hadn't been in many prayer meetings in my life to that point. And they said, let's join hands and let's get in a circle. I'm thinking, kumbaya, right? And, and they began to pray out loud, one by one, in order, around the circle. It didn't take me long to realize it's coming my way. When it came to me, I just bowed my head. I said, dear God, I've done so many things that are wrong, and I'm sorry. I believe Jesus Christ died for me. And Lord, I don't understand everything, but today, I give you my life. And that's all I knew to pray. But God heard my prayer, and I'm convinced Christ came in my life at that moment. He forgave my sins and ch started changing me. And you know what? He's still working on me. 
I'm a long-term project, folks. And I got to go in and tell my brother what had happened. He couldn't talk because he had a breathing tube they had to cut into his throat. And I said, Terry, I want you to know that God has used what's happened to you to bring me to Jesus. I gave him my life today, and I'm going to live for him. My brother couldn't talk, but he smiled. A couple days later, he went on to be with the Lord at age 19. We buried him on a Saturday. On Sunday, I was in his church. You know, the one I said I'd never go back to? I'm there. And the pastor gives the message, gives the invitation, and I came down and I said, I want you to know, Pastor, I've accepted Jesus at the hospital, but I need help. Boy, did I need help. That pastor took an interest in me and discipled me. His name was Adrian Rogers. He's with the Lord now. But what an influence he had on my life. And you know, as a young person, I didn't pray a lot, but I remember for the first probably eight years of my life, every night I prayed, Dear God, help my mama and my daddy to get back together. And after a while, I gave up on that prayer. It wasn't until that prayer room, really, that I prayed much. That started something in my life. And I began to pray for my father, who, with whom I had no relationship. I had seen my father maybe twice that I could remember at that point. Every year I wrote to him and said, I want to come see you. I want to visit you. Never got a response. But I began to pray for his salvation. I began to pray that same year, he and his new wife had a little baby. And I began to pray for him. His name was Brent. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And I reached out to my father a number of times during those years. Always ended in rejection. Never got to meet his children. Because I found out later I was a secret. They never even knew he'd ever been married before. His wife did, but not the kids. And so I continued to pray for 40 years. It's a long time, folks. And sometimes we get discouraged in our prayer, don't we? And maybe we quit praying. We think it's never going to happen. And so through our tears, we lift our prayer to God. But I want you to see also the bowls of prayer. Revelation 5.8, we read it a moment ago. It says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So this is an encouragement to my heart today. Because we pray, we, we cry, we lift our re request to God. And we wonder, will they ever be answered? And number one, let me just say this. Is think about the bowls of prayer. Our prayers are never lost. You know, sometimes we pray and we say, you know, I don't think that prayer got any higher than the light bulb in the ceiling. The good thing is God's ear, his ear comes lower than light bulb, right? And sometimes we think they just floated out there in cyberspace and they're gone. No. This passage tells us God is a collector. He collects our tears. 
but it also collects our prayers. Notice that they are collected in golden bowls. Wow. Not some clay jar. A golden bowl. Why? Because our prayers are precious to God. They're of great value. And there will come a time where that golden bowl is full and God is going to pour it out. And those prayers are going to be answered. They weren't the no prayers. They weren't the let me give you something better prayer. They weren't the denials. It was God said, just wait. The time is not right. And thank God for that. You know, George Mueller was a great man of faith. You probably heard of him. He had an orphanage in Great Britain. And he would never tell anybody about the need of, needs of that orphanage. But he would pray. He would lift it to God. And sometimes it would be in the morning, they're going down to feed the kids. And there's no food in the orphanage. And they gather around the table. He says, let's bow our heads and thank God for the food. I'm sure some kids said, what food? <laughs> they bowed their heads. They prayed. And by the time they said amen, there was a truck at the door. Someone told us to bring this food over here. That's the kind of faith this guy had. But you know what? He prayed 35 years for his brother to become a Christian. Mueller died, never seeing the answer to that prayer. But three years after he died, his brother came to Christ. Folks, our prayers live beyond us. They live beyond us. And so God is, collect, God is, uh, is uh, our prayers are not lost. Number two, God is collecting our prayers in golden bowls because they're precious to him. Number three, God is blessed when you turn to him. You know, don't turn away from God. Turn to Him with your prayers, with your tears. He's the only one. And so when we turn to Him, we're acknowledging Him as Lord. He's our Lord. He's the only one we're going to turn to. And we're completely dependent on Him. Prayer acknowledges that He has the answers, the only one who has the answers. And so we turn to Him and trust Him and I believe God is blessed when we pray. That alone ought to cause us to pray. He's blessed. And see, so often prayer is not our first thought. It is our last resort, right? I mean, we'll call people in politics and try to get their help. We'll, we'll maneuver and come up with schemes to try to get what we want. And then maybe it's an illness or something. And the, maybe you've got a loved one who's ill. And the doctor says, well, we've done all we can do. It's up to prayer now. And you go, oh my goodness. Is it that bad? You see, that ought to be our first resort, not our last resort. And so we turn to God in prayer. Number four, God's delays are not God's denials. We have to remember that. Just because he's delaying doesn't mean it's a no. 
It says, but these things I plan won't happen right away, slowly, steadily, surely. The time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, don't despair. And so I like what F.B. Meyer said. He said, so often we mistake God's, God and his delays as denials. What a chapter might be written of God's delays. But delays are not God's final answer to the soul that trusts him. And so don't give up. Don't quit. Don't let it go. Jesus spoke this parable unto them that we might always pray and not faint. Don't give up. Number five, God answers at the right time and in the right way. Further on in Revelation chapter 8, verse 3, it talks about another angel coming. And he stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before him. And then out of that came smoke and lightning and thunderings on the earth. And so at the appropriate time, those prayers that maybe we've even forgotten about are going to be poured out and the answer is going to come in God's timing. And so we need to trust in the Lord. I told you the story about my brother and the beginning really of my prayer life at age 16 where my dad and my brothers, there were two, and I prayed for that. I made attempts to reach out to my fathers. I said they were always kind of responded to in some sense, but never followed up with any call or any contact, anything like that. Well, 42 years went by. A few years ago, I was in Thailand, and I was teaching pastors. And in the middle of the night, I got a phone call at 4 a.m., well, I, folks, just let you know, I don't normally answer the phone at 4 a.m. But I looked because it could have been my wife, and it wasn't. It was McKinney, Texas. I don't know anybody in McKinney, Texas. So I turned it off, went back to sleep, taught all day, came back to the hotel. I'm having a late lunch, looking through my messages. This person from McKinney, Texas has called me four times. I thought, wow, I'll call him back right now. Well, I looked, and I said, it's 2 o'clock in the morning in McKinney, Texas. I could have said, I'm going to get him back, but <laughs> I didn't. And so I just, said, I just sent a text. I said, hey, apparently uh, you're trying to reach me. I don't know who you are. They weren't in my contacts. I said, but if you still want to talk when you wake up, text me, and we'll find a time when we're both awake because I'm 12 hours ahead. Well, five minutes later, Kenny, Texas is calling me at 2.05 in the morning. So I picked it up, and this is what he said. Please don't talk. Just listen. Okay. He said, uh, this is something out of a book, out of a movie, something unbelievable. He said, I'm your brother Brent. Until today, I did not know you existed. But I was at a cemetery in Memphis, Tennessee. My aunt had recently passed away and I went to see her grave because there had been no service. He said, notice between my aunt 
And my grandmother was someone I didn't know. His name was Terry Cobb. And apparently he died as a young person. I called my mother, he said. And first she kind of evaded the question, but finally she admitted, your dad was married before, and this is his son that was killed in a grocery store long ago. He said, my mind was a whirl. And I came back and I called my mom and I went over to her house and he said, tell me the truth. And she talked about my brother. And finally she admitted there's another son who still lives. That's me. I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth, but I'm still here. And so she said, I'm not going to say anything else. You need to go talk to your dad. And he said, when I talked to dad about it, dad sold me on you. Talked about how proud he was of you. And I thought, wow, that would have been good to know <laughs> growing up, right? I never knew that. And... Uh, and he said, he gave me your number. And that's when I called. He said, tell me about Terry. So I told him the story I told you previously here today. And when I finished, he said, I'm not a religious person. But that's an incredible story. And so we made plans to get together. He came to my home. And I think they might have a picture of that. I'm not sure. He came and we met in the parking lot. There we are for the first time. 42 years of praying for this guy. And now it's happening. Now, that night, when he, that day when he called me and, and when I called him back, I'm just trying to hold it together, folks, on that call. I, I almost broke out to uncontrollable sobs because the weight of a 40-year prayer being answered is something incredible. And so when we got off the phone, I just said, I couldn't call Linnell. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. She wouldn't have liked that. And so I just talked to the Lord. I said, dear God, thank you for answering this prayer for me. And God spoke to my heart through the tears. And he said, it wasn't just for you. I'm seeking Brent. And I said, dear God, help me to be a witness. And so... I came back to Charlotte. I'm driving to the office. And God said, send him that video. I've been working on a nationwide project with a video. And it was called Defining Moments. And so I sent it to Brent that day. I said, check it out. And he watched it. Make a long story short, he prayed to accept Jesus Christ. Just a couple days after that conversation on the phone. And I'm following him up like crazy. I'm sending him Bible studying Bibles and loading him down. And that day when he visited with me, we spent 11 hours together. And of course, I went through the gospel again just to make sure that he really understood it and received Christ. Well, a lot has happened since that day. We talk to each other all the time. We text. Uh, he started going to church, of course. His two daughters, because he's in church, they received Jesus Christ as they heard the gospel. My dad has accepted Christ. And we meet together when I'm down there, and they said it would never happen. But it did. And so what is our message to you today? Don't give up. 
Some of you maybe were praying for a loved one, a husband, daughter, son, or husband or uh, wife, son or daughter, somebody in your family, brother or sister, and you've taken them out of the bowl. You've given up today. Let me encourage you. Put them back in that bowl. Put it back in God's timing. Don't give up. Go back to that prayer. Let's bow for prayer. You know, I preached this message one time and someone shared with me afterward. He said, I, I made that commitment. I'd given up on my dad and that relationship and him coming to Christ. He said, I went back to my room that night where I was staying. He said, I had a message from my father whom I had not had any communication with for eight years. He put him back in the bowl and God's at work. One time I got a note from a lady who said, I, I put my husband back in the bowl. I'd already decided when I came to the service that I'd given up on our marriage. I was walking away. But I turned back. Whatever God is saying to you today, would you make that commitment to him? Dear God, we give you our hopes, our dreams, our tears, our prayers today. Help us not to faint. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we come this moment and just say thank you. Thank you for being so loving and so compassionate and so tender-hearted toward us that you keep those things that are important to us as treasures. Lord, even now, as some have grown weary in well-doing, as some have probably grown tired of praying the same thing over and over for the same people, it's been years. Lord, I pray today that we've been reminded of just how faithful you are. And also keenly aware that you didn't give up on us. Probably very few of us in the room responded to the gospel the first time we heard. And we acknowledge the reality this morning that none of us deserves to hear the gospel twice until everybody's heard it once. And yet time and time again, you drew us to you. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Help us to pray without ceasing and faint not. We love you, Lord. We commit our time and our worship and our prayer life afresh to you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Let's stand and join together in song before we're dismissed.